So, Megan Gifford on the podcast today, slash Zoom call, slash interview, slash hangout. Um, so for any of you guys who don't know who Megan Gifford is, um, she is first and foremost a very good friend of mine from New Zealand, uh, but secondly, a incredible athlete, uh, multiple games athlete, multiple regional athlete, um, also a very accomplished New Zealand weightlifter, Olympic weightlifter. Um, you've got some New Zealand records, if I'm not wrong, most of them. That is correct. Yep. Cool. Some New Zealand records. Um, <laughs> and has been on the road to the Olympics for the last sort of two years or so, um, which we'll touch on a little bit later on. But uh, on top of being an amazing uh, athlete, a fantastic coach, successful business owner, and a wonderful human being. Megan, how are you today? Far out, ADs. That was quite the... <laughs> Quite the introduction. Hey, hey, none of it's none of it's not true. I've seen I've seen all of those things with my own eyes, so I'm I'm not I'm, exaggerating uh, the truth. I am very well, thank you. We've had a great weekend here in New Zealand. Yeah. So no more no more lockdown rules. You you enjoying being able to get outside and, and live life again? Yeah, it's it's actually quite crazy. Like I took a friend, um, out for dinner last night and we went to a new mall that's just open that's got 40 eateries um in the like food court area and it was just jam-packed and you honestly wouldn't think that two weeks ago or what you not even that um we were trying to keep like two meters away it was just it was just <laughs> nice, but it was nice to have the freedom again yes definitely Man, I, uh, we are certainly very jealous of you on this side of the world. Things have been uh, pretty weird for us. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get an announcement in the next few days that we can open up. There's rumors floating around at the 22nd um, that we might go into our next phase, which would mean our gym can open, but again, under some pretty Ooh. serious restrictions. But, yeah, we don't know too much yet. They haven't released any actual statements, but that's kind of a rumor that I've Heard from a few people floating around. So, so hopefully, twenty second will be open. Yeah, fingers um, Yeah, exactly. But um, but we'll see. Um, so uh, obviously, you work at the gym, trade in the gym. Uh, I'm going to start today's interview uh, a little bit about your athletic career, um, and and how that got started because your story is a little bit different to a lot of people who. Are, pretty accomplished at whatever sport they go into. Um, can you just take us a little bit into your early life and kind of what your first sports were and what you kind of got you interested in? Because I already know the answer to this, but I think a few people would be <laughs> interested to hear this. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this one. Um, so I, I grew up in a small town on a farm. Um, so until I was about 14. Uh, 13, 14, and so sport wasn't really a big uh, part of our lives. Um, I mean, some people might know, I don't know, that um, farm life is, requires a lot of work at all hours of the day, seven days a week. Um, so my parents didn't really have a lot of time to drive us into town and take us to uh, any sports or Saturday sports. So I played a little bit of netball through primary and intermediate, um, but I was late to most games because Dad was always, 
and it was always working on the farm and then like rushing us in or I just couldn't play um, because he couldn't take me in. So sport wasn't, wasn't ever really a huge thing on my radar uh, growing up. And then when I got to high school, um, I tried to dabble in a few things, more as just a way of, um, you know, trying to make different friends. I'd come from a really small intermediate where I literally knew one other person who was going to high school at that time. Um, so to try and make some friends, I was like, I'll try cricket out or, you know, like you meet someone who's like, oh, I play cricket. So I tried that. I remember my first cricket game, I um, literally, I made two, well, actually no, wasn't even that. I hit the ball straight up in the air and someone caught it. So I actually made no runs. Um, <laughs> but like, like I did, <laughs> yeah, tried, um, tried a little bit of cricket, played a little bit of social netball, never really enjoyed any of it and avoided PE um, as much as I possibly could because I <laughs> didn't really like running around on wet grass and bare feet. So <laughs> it sounds awful. I didn't actually have much to do with sports at all. Um, I did try kickboxing when I was 15 um, for a little bit. And that's probably the only thing I stuck to for six months, six to 12 months um, and started doing gradings and things. I actually really enjoyed that. Uh, but we had to travel from Matamata to a whole different town. So again, the travel kind of thing kind of hindered that. Um, but that was basically the extent of my sporting um, adventures until I was about 23. So <laughs> there's a big gap there between 15 and 23. Um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of went a different route in high school um, where I like to socialize oh. and <laughs> some people might say party, but I don't think I don't, I wouldn't even call it partying because it's not really much partying that goes on in a small country town, just more hanging out and um, experimenting with um, alcohol and, yeah, for any of you guys who uh, who got Instagram open, if you go to her page, there's, a, there's an old photo of her uh, from back in the day, I think sucking on some, uh, some what are they called, those RTD kind of drinks. and Some Cody's. Yeah, <laughs> Cody's even. <laughs> Cody's is a, a whiskey, or sorry, a bourbon and, and Coke mix back in New Zealand that uh, is, uh, yeah, it's... Um, so yeah, in a small town, it's actually not that outrageous to start drinking from an early age. If you don't get into sports and academics, um, there's kind of only really one other route. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I started, I remember I started drinking at the age of 13, um, which wow. didn't seem that crazy to me at the time. But now, yeah, when I, now when I start talking to other people and they have that reaction, <laughs> I, it's actually not that normal <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, yeah, much to, much to, I guess my parents discussed hearing that now, but a lot of that was done behind their backs, to be completely honest. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so 23... You said you didn't do too much, 15 to 23. Is 23 when you first kind of found CrossFit? Is that when you started? Uh, so I, I started around the age of 21, actually. Um, that's when I met Callum. So I, I was working in the fashion industry and we, I worked at a, um, a head office close to the gym that we currently own. Um, and they 
the trainers at the gym at Body Business, which was what it was called back then, contracted to our office corporate gym on site. Um, so I decided to join that gym um, just with a friend. I'd literally never stepped foot in a gym before that point. Um, and I, I knew I needed to lose some weight and I knew I had um, some really unhealthy habits in my life. By that time, I've been smoking for um, sort of six to seven years already. Um, so I knew that something had to change. I had no idea what that looked like. So I just walked into a gym. Um, and that's where I met Callum and Zach, actually. They were both the trainers there. Um, and, yeah, and I just kind of just did general things that normal people would do in a gym, I guess, when they first start, walk on the treadmill, um, try some push-ups, um, bits and pieces. And I, I did that for probably about a year uh, until Callum around that time was discovering CrossFit and he was slowly trying to get some of the workers there to do like CrossFit-esque workouts um, and teach, taught us a few movements. Um, and then eventually he was bringing rings down to our little tiny corporate gym <laughs> um, and teaching us, well, teaching me how to do kipping pull-ups and things like that. So I kind of started doing CrossFit before I even realized what it was um, because I was just doing these random fun movements that were actually kind of enjoyable. Um, and that's how I that's how I got into it eventually. I, I branched out from the corporate gym and went to body business where they had a bit more of a setup um, where you would have been there at that time, actually. Yeah, I was. It's funny you mentioned the rings. I think uh, if I remember right, I think I got my first ever ring muscle up at, uh, the, at that little gym that you're talking about. Cullum had set those rings up off a beam, if I remember right. I think, I think so. I think. Uh, so, yeah. so you were, were you, were you a trainer down there? I can't quite remember. Were you a trainer down there for a while? I did do a few hours down there. It was never yeah. uh, a big part of my job, but yes, I did do a few hours down there. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, I was learning how to do kipping pull-ups and things on those rings, but um, I actually remember also I got my first ring muscle up on the same rings, but they were set up on the outside rig of body business, that sort of fabricated rig that was made out of, I don't actually know what, but it had all the, the um, like, uh, what were they called? Like jerry cans loaded with water, holding it down. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite cool reminiscing on, on how we all got started. <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh, it was definitely um, not what people who start CrossFit these days get to experience. I think uh, that early 2010, 2011, 12 sort of stage was a, uh, it was pretty interesting, especially for us trying to get started with metal plates and uh, all sorts of funky equipment. Um, so that was your, your introduction to, to CrossFit. Um, how long did it take before you did your first competition or, or you first started competing a little bit? Uh, so I think I, I probably started doing, well, we actually, we went to, I started kind of playing around with it by that point. Um, still not fully really knowing what CrossFit was. 
Um, and I remember we went in 2012, which was very early in Callum and I's relationship. We went to Dubai to visit my sister, um, who was living over there. And we went to a CrossFit gym. And that was my first time actually step, stepping foot in a CrossFit gym. Um, it was called CrossFit Life Spark. And we did a class there. And so that was my first experience of actually doing a CrossFit class. Up until that point, we were just doing random movements that I thought were fun. Um, and so, and there was a games athlete at LifeSpark. Um, her name was Candice. And she did a workout and I did a workout. And I remember thinking, oh man, my time wasn't actually that much difference to her. And that was the first time I had like that sense of, um, you know, like, competitive CrossFit being attainable um, and I hadn't really watched much of it to that point but then we got back to New Zealand and that was where I thought like I might actually look into this competition buzz and see what's going on um, and first competition was I got roped into the HPU it was a team competition I think um, with Nina Nings um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I don't think I'd climbed a rope before, and I just remember there was lots of rope climbs, and after two, I had never felt like forearm pump before, and I couldn't figure out why I'd lost all function in my hands, and I panicked and all those, like, experiences. So I think that was my first competition, which I wasn't particularly enjoyable. Um, and then we did the, the competition that sticks in my mind is the, uh, the zealous competition, uh, individual competition that we did. Did you do that one? Yeah, I actually, uh, I thought I thought um, you were going to do the, yeah. go for the other one. I thought you were going to talk about Hawke's Bay. That's what, the one that sticks in my mind for you, actually. Ah, uh, I can't remember if that came first. So I think that might have been my first RX competition. Um, and so, yeah, the Zealous one was the first enjoyable competition I did. And it was just a little one. and But, yeah, I think that might have been as an intermediate. But, yeah, the travelling down to Hawke's Bay with you and Callum to do my first RX competition in a completely different town was, like, the, the definitely the biggest step into competition. <laughs> and I got absolutely pumped. I think, I'd, I think I'd built up a little bit of confidence toward before that point as well because, you know, like... I was the only girl really doing CrossFit in our gym bar a couple of others. And so that's all you really have to gauge your own um, ability off. So when we got to Hawke's Bay, I had a little bit of confidence and it was shattered pretty quickly <laughs> when, <laughs> when we had um, some pretty horrible events like rowing with the front of the rower elevated and your legs completely blowing out and, um, I, cu I couldn't snatch 40 kilos. Everyone was snatched. There was a barbell complex. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, I think it was snatches, overhead squats and deadlifts perhaps or something like that. Um, but I couldn't figure out how to snatch the weight. And I was looking at you and I'm looking at Callum and I'm looking for, you know, for tips and cues and like how to figure it out on the floor in the competition, um, just smashing my hips to pieces and being looking around and realizing that I'm so far behind everyone. So that was a really humbling experience. <laughs> was for yeah. both of us though wasn't it yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do remember that competition very well as well I, I had a nightmare on the final event as well I wasn't as confident as you back then um, I remember I did mm. that was my first ever competition actually and I did scaled I remember it very very clearly um, 
But, uh, yeah, so I, I'm not too sure why at that point you were looking at me on the sidelines because uh, I, I don't know if I was able to help you anymore than <laughs> you were able to help then. yourself back then, yeah. I was, just looking, um, I was just looking for help, any help I could possibly get. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a funny story looking back at some of these uh, these old things. Um, okay, so you got, you got through that. Uh, if I remember right, it wasn't actually that much – longer after that that you really started to be able to compete with at least everyone in New Zealand um, by what when did you kind of realize that you could take the sport a little bit more seriously if that makes sense like um, I knew you started competing but when did you kind of realize that you were actually pretty good at this uh, I think it was and honestly, my, my memory and timeline is not as, as switched on as Callum's, but he remembers details right down to he the does. finest detail, but I'm not so great at that. So I think it was after, so I broke my, I actually competed in the, um, in the team competition with you uh, in 2013 and broke my arm during that competition. Um, so I knew at that point, like, you know, it was fun and I was building a little bit of confidence up, but it wasn't until I came back and competed in uh, Battle of the Fittest. Um, can, I, can I stop you there quickly, Meeks? Can you, do you want to explain that broken arm? Because it wasn't a broke, it wasn't your normal broken arm. It's not like, oh, I, I fell <laughs> off a tree and, and broke my tip, uh, not my tibia, my like, my owner or whatever. Uh, you you did something a little bit more serious than that. Can you just can you I just because this is one of the the very cool things about your athletic story is how, kind of how many setbacks you have actually taken on the chin and just continued to push forward. Um, and so just just quickly briefly explain this one. Okay, uh, so end of 2013 um we were all just really frothing over what crossfit was and loving it and um, we put a team together for the new zealand team nationals um which from memory we're doing okay at uh, and that was around october um we were in the first day of competition we're doing all right and then we had a max weight beer complex, which is one clean, one front squat into a jerk, a back rack into a back squat, uh, into a jerk, and then bring it down to the ground. So it was a, a pretty um, hefty complex, and, and it was on a time limit, obviously. Everyone had kind of reached their um, their maxes in the team, and so Rich and, Richie and I were kind of going back and forth trying to get our last lifts in at our max load, um, and I missed the jerk at 80 kilos, and I was, I was super annoyed, and there was about two minutes left on the clock. I was super annoyed because 80, 80 kilo jerk at the time should have been something that was semi-comfortable, I thought was semi-comfortable, um, so I dropped the bar, uh, Richie loaded the bar up to 120 or whatever it was, and he went for his complex. I can't quite remember if he got it or not. Um, but then no, the worst part is that he missed it. Ah, uh, dang. <laughs> okay, so he drops the bar after missing 120 or whatever it was. Um, and then I was, like, really fired up that I'd missed that jerk. So I got 
the boys to got the team to load 80 back on the bar and I was going to have one last attempt at 80. Um, so I got the clean the front squat. I got the jerk and then I had to back crack it onto my shoulders. And I don't really mem- remember much from them, but as, it, as it's coming down, I just hear a pop and feel something happen that certainly should not have happened. Um, and I'll, I'm pretty dramatic when stuff like that happens because <laughs> I, I know that something within the body is not where it's supposed to be. And it's, it's more shock than anything. I don't even remember the pain, but I just dropped to the ground and I was too afraid to look at my elbow because I thought I'd like dislocated or I might see something that I don't want to see. Um, so I just kind of cradled my elbow, but I'd, I'd snapped my humorous, um, well, in half, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so not, not, not just a clean break either, wasn't it? It was a rotational break. Yeah, it was. So that I, I don't think the bar slipped. I think as it was coming down, there was a lot of torsion on the bone and it just basically gave way. So um, that was the end of that competition for us, wasn't it, ladies? Yeah, for <laughs> anyone listening to this, uh, it's the same break. If you've ever seen those videos of people arm wrestling and, you know, when their arm just disappears it's the it's the same break as that um and I, I distinctly remember you coming back to the gym doing sled pushes with your arm in a sling and back squatting with the safety bar and i think this was the start of you sort of building up leg strength that is now pretty much unmatchable in most of the world it definitely was the start of building up some leg strength yes but yeah they put me in this um i didn't even get a cast because it was obviously i had to have surgery so i was in hospital for three days um they put the because it had broken in half but also there was like a piece that had come off completely so they put it all back together with metal um and then they put me in that really horrid like robotic brace that had a hinge on it so it would only straightened to a certain point um and then it was like strapped to the body so it looked it looked so extreme um (laughs) you couldn't walk anywhere without people staring and asking you what on earth had happened but no I was like very lucky that it was just the bone and it healed um back to being as strong as it was before what was the recovery time on that about uh it was about six weeks before I remember I could start like take the brace off and start trying to get um full range back um and then just start strengthening the muscles around it and then the the process of actually strengthening the muscles around it was happened quite quickly that happened within the like you know two to three weeks and i remember um three months after i broke it i was back snatching 95 percent 90 to 95 percent of what i was before the clean and jerk came back a little bit um, later because that was a little bit more of a compromised position for it to be in. Um, but when it was straight, it was strong. So yes, I'd say three months um, recovery. And then obviously muscle ups and um, everything was a little bit longer than that. So to get back fully, I'd probably, I mean, I'd say five months. Yeah. To being fully confident. Um. So 2014, we got our first ever team to regionals. Do you remember why you weren't in that? Was it because you weren't able to do the open because of your your arm? Yes. Yeah, I was still injured. So, I, um, what? Uh, yeah, that would have been the start of 2014. Yeah, yeah right, so I imagine. At that point, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so 2014, you you really started to hit your straps as an athlete, if I remember right. And by 
2015, you you uh, you guys qualified for the games for the first time, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So the end of 2014. Uh, sorry. Yeah, the ten, end of 2014. I actually got better that year after coming back from injury, and that's when you were saying before asking when I kind of thought that I was competitive. Um, it was the end of that 2014 year doing Battle of the Fittest against Ruth Harrell, who had been to the Games, and um, Blossom, who was top of her game at that point, um, and a, f- like, it's a few other regionals names that were to go to regionals the following year. Um, and that's when it sort of it sparked a little fire, and, and then we created the team after that. So that was, yeah, a big changing period for us. And then so- 2015 was the first year. You, you obviously, you qualified 2015 as the team. How close were you to individually qualifying for regionals? Do you remember? I qualified for regionals in 2015. Oh, you did? Yeah. So this really does show what kind of level you were were already at by this point. Uh, 2016, same thing again, right? Team qualified for the games. You went to the games again. Uh, And I've... I won't talk too much about the games experience and and all that kind of stuff, but uh, what I do want to touch on a little bit is uh, that you were you were obviously a very successful team athlete. Two thousand and seventeen, you decided to go individually and uh, and you qualified for regionals on your own again, uh, a third year in a row, if I might. That you qualified mm-hmm. first year going by yourself, uh, and if yeah. I remember right, you finished in the top. Uh, Top 80 in the world or so? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was. 2000, this is this is where I'm so shocking with timeline. But 2017, I think, was the year that I I won the Open in New, Ze- like, in New Zealand. Yes, yes, correct. Um, okay, thanks, I didn't. <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was 16 or 17. <laughs> but yes, I, yeah, it was a good, good Open year for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so just for anyone listening to this, puts it in perspective that Megan was in the top sort of sixty to seventy athletes in the entire world at the sport by this point. All right, so uh, just to kind of show how how unbelievably good you she was. Um, what what I wanted to ask though was, what was the shift like for you going from someone who have been part of a very successful team for a number of years. Uh, obviously, everything you guys did, and I saw it, was team first before the individual, uh, and you guys worked through that way. What was it like when you had to make that switch uh, and sort of put everyone else kind of not to the side because I know as a person that's not who you are, but that you had to kind of make yourself the priority from now on and, and, and competing by yourself. What was that like? Uh, honestly, I think if you look at, at my training schedule and what I did on a day-to-day, I don't think much changed at all. I was lucky enough to have Gemma who was um, going through the same um, transition as well and we trained together. We both had full-time jobs. We were both training at 6.30 in the evening every day and um and so what we did on a day-to-day didn't really change all that much, except that we didn't have to come together as a team and do team trainings through the week. Um, so there was a little bit more flexibility in, in that area. Um, but mentally, the, the transition of the switch was huge. I, I started, I think that's when I started um, 
having to learn how to manage expectation on myself um, because I always had huge expectation on myself when it came to the team. Um, but you share that, you know, you share that, that pressure and that, and that load a little bit and you know, you've got your strengths, you've got your weaknesses. Someone else has their strengths and weaknesses and you play to that within the team. So you succeed together when you start, um, when I started competing individually on my own, I didn't have, like for the lack of a better word, anyone to fall back on in any area. So um, that pressure of having to perform, and especially in a year where I did so well in the open, started really, um, yeah, bottling up, I guess. Um, it was also a hard year. It was probably my most successful year in my career. Um, to that point. So I was taking on new managerial roles and more stressful roles at work um, and trying to manage that as well. So all in all, um, what I did day to day didn't change all that much, but mentally I was, that was probably a higher um, stress year for me <laughs> going into individual competition. Yeah, so you were a full-time, you had a full-time job and uh, as you said, you were still training at kind of 6.30 at night, um, trying, to, trying to get the volume in that, that's required to, to compete at that sort of a level. Um, did you have a, a certain expectation for yourself when you, when you went to regionals? Did you set yourself a goal? And, um, and, and what was that like sort of, if I remember right, you didn't quite achieve what you wanted to that year, but... Uh, how was that in terms of a learning experience and, and kind of chasing something that's not always completely in your control, if that makes sense? It was a, it was a huge learning experience. Um, so I wanted to finish top five. Um, I was top 10 in, Aust in our region. Um, uh, heck, I might have even been top five in our region. I might have finished fifth that year. In fact, no, I think I did finish fifth that year in um, in Australasia. So I went in wanting to back that up with a regionals performance and finish top five, which would have given me a spot, a ticket to the games as an individual. Um, and the Open and regionals are two very, very different beasts. And I didn't really realise that at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, went, I trained ex with the intention to finish top five. Um, had all this extra pressure on myself. Uh, there was a lot of vocal expectation around me um, on finishing top five as well. Um, so Callum, like, not intentionally, but I'm taking, you know, I'm hearing all these people saying that, Megan is our best New Zealand hope of making it to the games this year. And I'm kind of like adding that to the already brewing pressure <laughs> that I have. So by the time I got to regionals, um, I, I remember I wasn't having a fun time in training. Um, and yeah, that, the, the result reflected that very much so and, and finishing, I think, 20 fourth from memory so very far from a top five <laughs> um was uh by this point had you started competing in weightlifting yet or was that still on the horizon i 
had started competing in weightlifting. Um, I was doing nationals and local competitions. I hadn't, I'm oh, sorry, I had done my first international that year, which was part of a Commonwealth Games qualifier as well. So Commonwealth Games was in 2018. Um, so in 2017, I had done one of the two qualifiers that I needed to do, um, and it was successful. Uh, so that was in the middle of the Open. Um, so I did my competition, and then I was training straight after the competition um, and then doing the open workout at Rob Fort's gym, CrossFit Frankston, um, the following day after the competition to to try and get that result. So I definitely was was well into weightlifting at that point, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, so, and and how did this desire to do weightlifting start? Like, what, what is it about weightlifting that, that really drew you into it? Because uh, as someone who's dabbled in weightlifting as a sport, it's it's really very, very different to CrossFit. And I think you can definitely testify for that. But what was it about this weightlifting that, that made you so interested in it? Uh, honestly, when I first started, it was the fact that I was good at it. Like it was... <laughs> It was the it was my strong point in CrossFit um, when I started. I knew that early on. So so dabbling in weightlifting mainly came from the fact that I was good at it, and I just wanted to see what it was all about. Um, because, like you said, it's a very very different beast. I remember we our, my first competition was um, you were there also. That was the functional strength CrossFit poster in two thousand thirteen. And I remember um, Callum and Zach and everyone saying, oh, you know, you'll be fine. Once you get on the platform, there's going to be heaps of hype. Adrenaline will kick in and, you know, you'll hit some PBs. And then I got there and I stepped on the platform and it was quiet and no one said anything. And um, you're on a clock and there was no adrenaline, <laughs> no hype. And so it was really quite scary. But, um, but from that point, like that little, little lit a little bit of a fire as well because, um, you know, thinking you're good at something and, and then being, you know, similar to my um, first CrossFit um, competition experience, thinking you were decent at something and then being humbled very quickly kind of sets its own little um, fire of you wanting to get better. So that was basically where I set off and I just wanted to do better on the competition platform and, um, and grow, I guess, in that in that side of things. So I didn't put any focus on weightlifting. I just, every time I had a little bit of a gap between competing, I would do some, some local competitions. Um, I enjoyed um, the people in weightlifting as well, the few people that I'd met. So, um, so that was kind of what kept that going. And then when Commonwealth Games um, qualification was coming around and I was in talks with Richie Patterson, who was coaching at the time, um, that got me really excited to to try and do some internationals and see how far I could take that. Uh, let's let's settle the debate once and for all. Which one do you prefer competing in? Oh, this is such a hard question, but I have to say I'm I'm a very different, very very different athlete now than I was when I did CrossFit. So I would have to say weightlifting, but only because I think I'm I'm not just chasing um, competitive placings or anything now. I have a really, like I've matured as an athlete. So I'm chasing mastery of my craft and I'm, I have a lot 
um, yeah, my, my goals and my focus come from a different place rather than just wanting to be placed somewhere on a, a leaderboard, which I think is what I was chasing in CrossFit. Um, so I would say weightlifting is a more enjoyable um, sport, but only because I'm, I think I'm, I'm a bit more mature and I'm understanding what it takes to be an athlete now a little more than I did back then. I still love CrossFit though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when did you kind of make the switch? You, you sort of stopped competing in CrossFit and, and kind of started focusing solely on weightlifting. Uh, so it, it happened twice actually. Um, so 2017 after regionals, I made a full switch to weightlifting. Um, and that's when I did nothing but weightlifting and I was doing uh, Richard Patterson's program. Uh, and, and that was very, very, very different. Um, but it was the end of 2017 when I um, ruptured my ACL. So that kind of put a halt on, well, any training <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but that was the first time, first time that I went into full weightlifting. Uh, and then I came back uh, from my rupture and... I was sort of, I was still training both, but I was still trying to compete in weightlifting and get back to the Commonwealth Games. Um, went back to competing in CrossFit a uh, little bit in 2018, but still weightlifting was the main focus. Um, but yeah, so there was a, it's a little bit of a hazy period between 2017 and the end of 2018. 2018 because I was still dabbling in both but I would say weightlifting was my main focus um, and then from the end of 2018 even though I did do one CrossFit competition at the start of 19 um, it hit from from then to now it has been 100% weightlifting. Yeah I, I just want to point out a couple of a couple of pieces in that uh, so number one if anyone missed that Megan said that she tore her ACL which if anyone's done that is a, a another full six month injury at the very least. Uh, and then on top of that, there's all the, uh, the mental confidence that it takes to come back from something like that, um, which is another three months of hesitation at least I would say. So there's six months of physical and then at least three months of mental recovery on, on an injury, something like that. So, so if, to get her to where she is today, this is the second major injury that she's had to deal with. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is when I did some research for the show, um, I, I also found out that in 2019, you finished 70th in the world in the open. So uh, I just, just want, <laughs> yeah, I just want people to make sure that they understand that you finished 70th <laughs> when you just said that it was not your focus. So, um, I just wanted people to, to realize that the kind of phenomenal athlete that you have become. Um, okay, uh, just change your tact a little bit. Uh, so you've, with weightlifting and actually CrossFit for that matter, but I, I'm more thinking along the, the weightlifting side of things. You've been, you've been kind of forced to compete uh, all over the world now. I know you've, you've had to travel a fair bit to try to get these uh, – these sanctioned events under your belt or what it, whatever they call them in the weightlifting world. Um, yes. Can you just quickly explain a few sort of a, the, the sacrifices that you've had to make over the last few years to chase a goal like this or to chase a, a, a passion or a dream like this? 
Yeah, I've always, I've always struggled with this one because, um, like you were saying before, I've, I've come from a non-athletic background. Um, so where Callum is, Callum is a good example. You would have heard him talk about his background. He's come from a very competitive background from a very young age. So he's always had this very natural um, feeling of, you know, you have to make sacrifices in order to get to certain points in in a sporting career. Um, and I've never, I hadn't experienced that until in my adult life. Um, so that was probably the biggest um, difficulty with, for me was, um, and I, I like to call them choices because you choose to, to go down certain routes rather than sacrifices. But I, had to make some really hard choices when it came to spending time with family versus training. Um, well, not even spending time with family versus training, just spending time with family versus resting and recovering. Um, that has been one difficult choice um, that I've had to make on many of occasions, feeling like you're missing out on a lot of close family and friend things. Um, I'm very, very, I'm very much a family person. So that was the biggest one. Um, big sacrifices in, in weightlifting is obviously the fact that it's a weight class sport. Uh, so sacrificing food is a big one. Um, and that was very much the case for the first year of my qualification before I went up weight classes. Um, and yeah, outside of that, it's just, I, I honestly think the hardest thing is, is, knowing that people don't necessarily understand what you're trying to do. Um, so when you, you know, when you can't go to, or when you choose not to go to a family event or choose not to drink with friends, because a lot of my friends still drink and that's totally fine. Um, when you choose not to go out for lunches because you want to eat the food that you want to eat. Um, and, in, in, my, in my work, to, um, having to say, I can't coach this many classes. Um, I can't coach this day, this day, and this day, because these are my double days and I really need to be able to recover. Like that took a full year of me trying to figure that process out because I want to work. I want to be there and like client facing. I want to be in front of the classes. I want to help the business thrive. Um, but I've had to force myself and be okay with stepping back from all of that side of things as well. Um, I would say they were my biggest things to answer your question, Aiden. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was actually, you hit the nail right on the head there. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, and I asked Callum this last week, which will be a very similar answer for you. Um, but just, I think a lot of people assume that uh, as a, as because your job is fitness and you're a coach as well, that you have all the time in the world to train and do whatever you need to 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 get to where you are. Can you just kind of give us a, a quick um, look at what a day in the life of Megan is like and, and what, what a traditional or what a normal day of, of work and training looks like and, and especially that time that you guys wake up, your scheduled meal mm -hmm. times and all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, sure. I So we obviously coach classes at 6 a.m. in the morning or early start. So, and I also... Uh, 
have PT sessions with some clients early in the morning. Um, so most of the time, uh, 4.45 a.m. is our wake up. Um, I have learnt to try and reschedule to get a couple of sleep in throughout the week, but it's not always the case. Um, so usually we coach in the morning, um, eat, well, eat breakfast as soon as I wake up, otherwise I'm starving by the mid-morning. Co- eat breakfast, coach in the morning, um, do some admin, train in the morning, coach a lunchtime class, um, do some admin in the afternoon, train in the evening, or coach in the evening, and then come home. Um, so although we're very blessed in our industry to have control over your schedule. So if I want to have some breaks uh, in during the day that I can, I have the control to do that. Um, it is very hard to do that. <laughs> However, because uh, you would know being in an industry um, that's client facing a lot and your, your, your role as a coach is not just to coach classes, it's to um, help people along their health and fitness journey. And that means mental health, physical health, um, nutrition, and you are accessible to a lot of people. And to be accessible to a lot of people, you need to be available at all hours of the day. Um, because if you just block out a couple hours a day for that, you can't get through your 150 members um, who need your help in, other, in different areas. So, um, yeah, just digressing a little bit. But um, even though on paper, and this is what I struggled a lot with, I'd look at my calendar and I'm like, why am I stressed? Why do I feel anxious? Why am I tired? Because my calendar doesn't tell me that it's, you know, I'm that busy but it's all the little things in between. It's the, com- you know, the conversations with members having a hard time. Like I'm empathetic. I take on a lot of those emotions as well. Um, and then it's, um, you know, the hours on your feet that you don't realize all add up. And, and then the, the small amount of hours that you get to sleep because you're starting early and finishing late. So that all of that adds up to create quite a, a hectic schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when you when you when you look at your life kind of like that, and and realize that not every day is easy. Uh, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about, Megan, is because you're someone who's uh, who I think empathizes is pretty much more than anyone I've ever met. Is uh, uh, is is how important goal setting is, and I know you are someone who takes that very seriously. Um, so can you just for the people listening, like how important when you live when you're having to make these constant sacrifices, uh, how important is that, that end goal or how important is goal setting in a, in a journey like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important. You, you have to, I, find, I relate goal setting and motivation as, you know, all in the same um, because you have to know what you are, um, fighting for you have to know what you're putting on all these hours and um, energy into you know you need to know why you're doing it um, and those goals need to actually mean something to you there's no point I go back to the 2017 um, CrossFit Games campaign that I was attempting I, I, I don't think making it to the CrossFit really meant um, anything intrinsically to me I don't think that um, 
I really felt that that was, you know, something that sat close to my values and, and my needs and my wants and everything else. Um, so I, it was a lot harder for me to put in the work that was required to get there. Um, whereas when we were in the team, so the CrossFit team, um, my reason for turning up to training was because I knew that like being around my friends and achieving something great with people I really enjoyed being around was something really important to me. Um, so, so knowing what I, why I was turning up to training and why I was putting in all the hours and making those sacrifices, um, led me to compete better and then coming to the to the Olympic campaign um, just having one goal of making it to the Olympics for me is not enough um, because that's two years and of building into it so I have a lot of I guess I don't know if you call them micro goals but a lot of other goals that you know people probably wouldn't really think about um, which come which align with um, like values that are really close with me. So this probably sounds really silly, but no, for me... No, no, you're saying exactly <laughs> what I was hoping you would say. You were hitting the nail on the head, Meeks. <laughs> so for me, um, I and I like to write them down. <laughs> so things like being able to tell my future children that... Um, I did absolutely everything I could in sport to see what I was humanly capable was um, capable of was you know that that to me is my goal like that's something that genuinely fires me up and gets me excited um, being able to like tell my mum that I got selected for a New Zealand Olympic team, even though she doesn't really understand my sport and knowing that, that she was going to be proud of that is something that really, really drives me and is like a goal that's so close to me. Um, so all of understanding what these things are is to me really important for anyone because whether you're trying to make it to the Olympics or you're just walking into a CrossFit gym for the first time in your life. And like, if you don't know why you're doing these, these things that are, you know, turning your life upside down essentially you're not going to be able to sustain anything so um yeah i don't know if that's where you were kind no, of that's ex exactly what <laughs> you actually you you gave us some gems in there that i even i wasn't expecting um you uh you speak a lot about something that obviously is intrinsically important to someone and um i'm sure you've heard of it or i'm sure you use it with your clients as well as something called motivational uh interviewing uh, and, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head when, whenever you guys are trying to achieve something, make sure that you want to achieve it for a certain reason. All right. And there's a famous saying, uh, in, in what we do called the five whys theory. And it's just simply, if you, if you set yourself a goal, ask yourself why you want to achieve that five times. And every time you answer it, ask yourself why again, until you come to the real, the real bottom of, of why you want to achieve something. And, and actually I'm very thankful for that answer, Megan, because, uh, a lot of people I think, uh, really struggle with, they say they've got this goal, but it really means nothing to them. And if you can attach some sort of emotional feeling to it, it's, it's uh, it's definitely much much more effective. Um, so, is this something you also work quite a lot with your clients on, and you talk to them about this kind of stuff? And have you found that, is this a reason why you have become such a successful coach as well? 
Yeah, I think not just, not even just myself. I, I think all of our coaches this is something that we've realized is um, so incredibly important. Like I said, for anyone, no matter what it is you're trying to achieve in life, um, you explained it really well, unless you have an emotional attachment to it or unless it's like something that's actually a value in your life that you hold close to you, it, it's not going to be, it might be achieved, but it might, you, it might not necessarily mean anything when you get there. So it's something that we do ask um, every single person who walks in our gym. It's not like we, we, they walk into our gym and we go, what do you want to be here? Why is that important to you? Why is that important to you? It's yeah. more, <laughs> it's more, um, it's more something we bring up over their first sort of like three month period. But um, it's as coach, it's important to know why each individual is there and what they want to achieve and why that's important to them because that leads how you coach them. Um, so someone who is, you know, stepping into the gym for the first time trying to lose weight because they know that they're currently not in their healthiest state and they have children who rely on them and maybe family members who, you know, rely on them quite a lot. Um, if they walk in and they open that, open up to you and explain that to you and you, uh, and they're on the floor and you're yelling in their ear to tell them to, you know, like move that ass or whatever it is. Like if you're yelling and screaming at them, you know that that's, that's not going to get them to where they want to be because they're not going to respond well to that. Um, whereas if you walk up to them and you calmly, you know, talk to them and explain, you know, if you can do it this way or if you can push a little bit harder here and this is going to fast track you and get you towards that goal, they're going to work harder. So you have to know what their whys are in order to um, coach them better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very cool. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going to change tact in a second again. Uh, but can you just, uh, I, I got, I got two more questions around this kind of, this kind of weightlifting, um, side of things. And then I want to talk about you more personally as in your role or your path in the fitness industry. But, uh, you explained a little bit about, the weight changes that you've had to make over the last 12 months. And, and as someone who's kind of followed your journey for a long period of time, can you just, uh, can you just explain to people what that's looked like for you and, and how much you've actually have done in that, in that department and, and what that's looked like for you? Uh, yeah. So just in weightlifting, um, I came into the sport around 60 kilos um, and the weight category that I came into was the under 63s. The one below that was under 58. Um, so being already quite small and lean when I came into weightlifting, just from being in CrossFit, um, that's where I just naturally sat. That's where I competed. And I did that for a number of years, competed as an under 63. Uh, the weight classes after the Commonwealth Games changed to... Uh, changed slightly so then it was under 64 um so again I kind of naturally sat around 63 64 so I just continued competing as I got older as I built more muscle mass as I focused more on weightlifting um my body type changed I was putting on a lot more muscle mass I was sorting my nutrition out so things were changing on that side of things as well sat around 66 kilos dropping down to 64 no worries um, and that was okay. And so that was sort of right up until sort of 2017, um, or start of 2017, got injured, um, came back from injury, 
And I sort of just started naturally in 2018, sitting sort of around 66, 60, well, not 67, 66 kilos. Um, the weight cuts were started fine. I had no real um, direction as to how to do them other than cutting my calories down. Um, so I was slowly kind of just doing that myself. Um, and then 2019 was a hard year. Last year was a hard year because the Olympic qualifiers required me to be competing sort of every six weeks. Um, and I'd come, I'd cut down, come out of a competition, shoot back up and have to cut again. Um, so repetitive weight cuts. If, you, if you're unsure of, um, you know, the basics around nutrition and cutting weight, um, obviously going up and down, yo-yoing and weight is not great for your, um, you know, the functionality of your body and being able to sustain energy and, um, maintain a specific weight so the more I did that going up and down every six weeks the harder it got to cut down um to 64 so um I was very lucky at the end of last year or midway through last year we were looking at where I sat in the under 64s um and I was second ranked in Oceania um, I needed to be first and it was looking like points were going to become harder and harder to um, close the gap on that, on that athlete that was ahead of me. Uh, so we, we had had conversations about moving up a weight class and um, working on outlifting the current or the, the, the number one lifter in that weight class. Um, so we kind of talked about it. Then when we got to September, it started becoming more of a serious conversation. Um, and by September, we decided, yep, we're going to do it. My weight cuts were getting harder and harder. I was having some, there was some, I'd say health issues that I was really concerned about at that point. Um, and so it, holistically seemed like the right thing to do. So we decided that after World Champs in 2019, I would become a 76er, which is the next Olympic category because they cut out the 71s from the Olympics. Um, so that's going from 64 to an under 76. Um, so there was a lot of tactic involved there. I worked with a dietitian, um, not just to bring my health back up to speed, but also to get myself up to the weight, which is was quite hard to do. The first initial sort of five kilos came just like that. And then um, getting up to the 76 weight class uh, took a longer period of time. But by sort of March this year, I was around 72 kilos. So that's all I really needed to be at that point in time, or that's all I really need to be now to compete in, um, in the 76s. And uh, how have you felt? I mean, because what is that, eight kilos basically difference? Eight, how, how physically have you felt kind of putting on that much weight or, or, or getting to this point? Um, physically, you're feeling, obviously, I'm guessing a lot more energy, but how, how have you felt? Have you felt your strength numbers increase significantly? Uh, has it just been a better weight for you altogether? Um, yes, to all of those things. I... <laughs> <laughs> I have honestly never felt better as um, as a weightlifter. I've never felt strong. I've never been this strong before. Um, my numbers have increased, and it wasn't dramatically. It didn't happen just like that. Um, for a good 
three, four months, you know, I was kind of hitting the same numbers. Nothing was really changing as expected. Um, and then after sort of four months of, so that was September, October, November, December. Yeah. So the start of this year, I started to feel some changes and mainly like my back squat, um, pulling off the ground front squats, like basic strength movements. They also, all those numbers started going up. And then once my, um, all the work I was doing on my technique sort of caught up, then I started to see some cool changes in, um, in my numbers and the clean jerk and the snatch. Um, and now I'm by far the strongest I've ever been and feel so much better, <laughs> so much better. Um, I, I just want to make it clear to everyone as well that you've, you've added these eight kilos, but you didn't do that just by eating McDonald's or, or whatever, did you? There was... Uh... How, 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 how tough was it putting on that much weight kind of in a sustainable, healthy way? Oh, it was, it was really tough. I'm someone who loved that. You know, Aiden, I love food and I can eat a lot of food, but I spent a year of cutting and restricting, um, my macros and the types of food that I was eating, I basically cut all processed food out of my diet because that was um, what was I was finding, um, you know, what was making the weight cut so hard was the fact that I was starting to resent cutting and then I was like letting some processed food like bagels and things slip back into my diet and they were hindering everything. So I basically cut all processed food out of my diet. So when I started to... Um, started to put on the weight it wasn't my body didn't didn't at all want to eat anything um, crappy and also I've had lots of injuries and all those types of foods all processed foods flare up um, inflammation and I, I it hits me hard um, it affects my sleep and everything I'd, I'd taken it out for so long so I had to eat double the amount of food in clean sources which is volumes and volumes of food so that was a really difficult thing for me because I love food but when you are having to force yourself to eat when you're super full is not a fun experience <laughs> um but we did it very carefully we didn't I you know there are also other things that you need to take into account like I didn't want to put that weight on quickly because I would have just felt really crappy within my body and being a female you're obviously um naturally you're a lot well actually not just females males as well a lot more aware of um when you're carrying more fat mass so we wanted to do it gradually um and carefully and with good clean food so that meant volumes of food so it was hard but then after sort of four months your body starts to um, adapt to what to the amounts that you're eating and it starts to feel normal so it's a process for sure cool and uh how how have you mentally dealt with uh, the change of body shape? How has that been? Uh, as you said, you say for everyone, it's it's not easy, but particularly for females, uh, eight kilos is uh, a significant change in body shape. And have you have you felt pressure from anyone on that sort of front, or have you yeah. kind of just you you know what you're working for, and that's all that really matters? Yeah. I mean, I had no qualms with going up because I, like I was saying, like my, my goals and my um, feelings towards making to the Olympics were so strong that it, I didn't care if I had to be 76 kilos or 64 kilos. I was willing to do whatever I needed to. Um, but 
I, there have definitely been stages of feeling um, the extra body weight, you know, making it tough to kind of look just look at yourself in the mirror and be okay with what you're seeing. It sounds really silly because I'm not. I know I'm healthy and I know I'm active and I'm all of those things. But so I'd say eighty percent of it has been great. Twenty percent has been tough. Um, and I mean. I, I can't really say why. I just, it's just an, it's not a natural thing to for look to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, oh, I put on eight kilos, kilos. I feel great. Um, I look great. But there are all these little things that you don't think about. Like my wardrobe doesn't fit me anymore. I have to go and buy a whole new wardrobe. Um, and you, I didn't think about that at the time. And it's it's annoying. <laughs> and um, and then you've got to find things that you feel good in when you're this new body shape. So there were lots of little pockets of me feeling a little bit down. Um, but I can honestly say I am less body conscious now than I was when I was probably 10% body, body fat. Um because I think when I was aesthetically in the best shape of my life, or if that's what you want to call it, um, I was so aware that I was in the best shape of my life and I was so aware of my weight went up and I was really aware of my weight went down. Whereas now I'm, I'm chasing something so different and I feel a lot more confident and bigger and stronger and um, healthier. And I know I'm active. I know I'm healthy. Um, so the way I look doesn't affect me as much now. About you athletically, which, I mean, we could go on for hours about your achievements and all of that kind of stuff, but um, you, you're not someone who... who kind of started in the fitness industry or like it's not something that you knew you were going to get into from the get-go. Um, can you share briefly how you kind of turned something that was a hobby, although I think calling your training or your athletic career a hobby is a little bit of a disservice. Um, but uh, can you talk Tell us just quickly how you turned that into into your career and, and something I know that you are super, super passionate about. Yeah, I um, so I, I was originally, I studied fashion um, and I was growing my career in fashion. Um, I was designing and buying for a kids wear company, working my way up the chain a few, um, if you want to call it that, um, chasing a, you know, bigger salaries and a, a CV that looked how I wanted it to look. Um, and I, it was 2017 uh, when I was trying to make it to the games and um, and also the Commonwealth Games where I I changed jobs by that point and I was buying for a different company. But I remember I was training. I was training on a Sunday afternoon and I was literally standing at a barbell about to lift it and I just looked up to Callum and I just said, I just thought about going to work tomorrow and I had a sick feeling in my stomach. Like I, d I didn't want to go. Um, and I have Callum to thank for this because he literally just turned around and just said, you need to quit your job. Um, and I didn't know that I wanted to be in the 
fitness industry at that point. I knew that I loved coaching because I was doing it part-time. I knew I loved being in the gym because when I wasn't working, that's basically where I spent all of my time. I loved hanging out with the members because we was, you know, our social life was with the community. Um, so I didn't know that I wanted to move into the fitness industry at that point, but it was, I don't know. I, I, I think the universe was sort of telling me something because, um, there was a, a job or a space, a coaching space that opened up at CrossFit East Tamaki, um, probably not even a week after that. Um, and Callum messaged me and said, we can, we can give you some work if you want to quit your job. So I'm so grateful to Zach and Callum because they, they su- basically supported um, me through that period of trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my career. And I handed in my notice a couple of days later. I, it was a great job. It was truly a great job, but I just knew that that's not where I wanted, that's not where I wanted to be anymore. Um, so I started bridging between jobs at CrossFit East Tamaki and I guess the rest is history because I, I never left. I never looked for another job. I, um, <laughs> I literally cut my, um, my annual salary in half, probably more so, but I never, ever had any regrets. I loved coaching. I loved growing the business and growing the community. And I loved being around like-minded people. Um, I'd kind of just, uh, just, I guess, outgrown the, not outgrown, but I, I was no longer into fashion. I was more into fitness. And so it was a natural progression um, for me. So timing wise, I think I was just really lucky that um, it all kind of fell into place, but yeah, that it was, it was truly, the rest was history. I, I love working with Callum, building his um, online programming business that I, he is so exceptionally good at, but just needs a little bit of um, reassurance every now and then that he is truly the best at what he does. Like he's still, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I Aiden? like, he, yeah. like, um, I feel like I'm his, his lifetime cheerleader being like anytime that he has any doubts in business, I have to, what well, I don't have to, but I, I want to be there to step up and say, actually, uh, you are truly the best at what you do. We can make this happen. And then growing the business and every year it just gets bigger and bigger and better and better. And um, that's a really cool thing to be a part of. So I don't, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't be doing anything else. Cool. Um, so you've been, you've been in the industry quite a while now. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone who might be thinking of shifting their career as well or anything, um, that you might say to someone who would like to move into this industry as well? Yeah. I mean, um, it's easy for me to say if you don't like, you know, if you, if you want to move careers, just do it. Life's short, but I know it's really, really, it's a lot harder than that. Um, so you definitely have to be smart about it, but if, I'd say if anyone wants to move into the fitness industry, if you truly believe that that's where you want to be, um, then, and that those are the people that you want to surround yourself with, then it's truly an incredible move. Um, one thing I've learned coming from having a comfortable salary to moving into the fitness industry is that you have to be prepared to work. Um, 
and you have to be passionate about what you're doing and put those two things together and you will be successful. Um, but if you are moving into the fitness industry because you think it'd be a bit of fun and um, can make a bit of money doing things that you love and you, you're not prepared to put in um, the hours and the work that give you that success financially, it can be a really hard industry to be in, um, but it's well worth it. So um, having guidance and having a mentor, someone who can guide you into the industry if you're completely changing industries or you're just getting into it for the first time is really important. I had you, I had Zach, I had Callum who were all there mentoring me as I went. Um, you have to be able to put yourself out there, but when you do, um, you reap the rewards, you know, like it's hard trying to build up a client base and things like that. But um, if you're your authentic self and you're vibrant and you're um, enjoying what you do, then you will, you will build that client base and you will be successful. So um, I don't know if that's the greatest advice, but that's just what I learned in my personal experience. <laughs> oh, that was very good, Megan. Very good. Um, okay. Uh, I've only got, uh, probably two more questions for you before we go to our final quick fire stuff and, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you get on with the rest of your life. Um, but it wouldn't be right if I didn't ask at least very briefly on your opinion around the whole CrossFit, uh, situation at the moment. Um, the, the Greg Glassman comments, the, the podcast that came out the other day. Um, mm. you guys obviously run a successful CrossFit gym where you are. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? What are your opinions on everything? Um, has it changed your guys' business at all? Anything like that? Um, my, my thoughts on Greg Glassman are very clear. Um, <laughs> I very much dislike the man um, for obvious reasons. Um, what he said, I think, was, you know, unexcusable. Um, inexcusable. In terms of how it's affected our business, um, in complete honesty, um, we we rebranded as Functional Fat East Tamaki recently uh, as soon as we came out of lockdown, so before all of this happened. Um, we didn't de-affiliate. We know that a lot of people still Google CrossFit and find us. So having the word CrossFit in front of um, our company helps a huge amount. However, the people who Google CrossFit know that they want to try CrossFit. They don't necessarily know exactly what it is. So it gets them in the doors, but then when they get into our doors, they've got a, a wide range of offerings. They've got functional fit that doesn't have any Olympic lifting or gymnastics. They've got functional bodybuilding. Um, they've got CrossFit. So so we had obviously already taken our, our CrossFit out of our branding, but we're still affiliated. Um, so when all of this happened, we were very clear that, you know, to the people that needed to know that we do not support Greg Glassman and any of the events that happened and what he was saying. Um, however, we also knew that most of our client base, most of our members don't actually know who Greg Glassman is. 50% um, of our members wouldn't even know what 
CrossFit is as a brand or as a company. Um, so de-affiliating was not going to um, de-affiliate. Sorry, de-affiliating right away was not going to change um, anything. We wanted to give it some time and see what um, Greg Glassman and CrossFit did in order to reprimand what he was saying. Um, so it hasn't what the goings on of CrossFit right now haven't affected our business in any real way. Um, to answer your question, we yeah, like I said, we're very clear that we don't support what he said and Greg Glassman himself. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this all pans out. To be honest with you, like I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss of words when it comes to explaining what's going on and how it's going to affect us long term. Um, but yeah, in terms of our business, I don't think it's it's made much of a difference on the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, uh, you know, we we deaffiliated. We're, uh, we're pushing on our own. I think some of that is that we were kind of always on this path, though, anyway, similar to what you guys have done. We were. I don't think it would have taken us too much longer before maybe the word CrossFit got taken out of our, our name as well. Um, but obviously, I don't think anyone stands for the stuff he's been saying or what he's been doing, and um, we, just, we just wanted to make sure that he was no longer earning any money out of our our business or out of us anymore and so that's why it was uh, our decision to to de-affiliate um yeah okay uh last question before the quick fires megan um where do you see your personal fitness uh or training or athletic career going and where do you kind of see uh, the way fitness is going to go in the next 12 months? I know those are kind of two very different questions, but they might be linked in a way. So what do you see yourself doing in the next 12 months? I think uh, obviously I know where you hope to be, um, but just in case no one's caught on to that point just yet in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and where do you think, uh, do you think fitness is going to change at all in the next 12 months or so? Uh, so in the next five months of me personally, I, um, yeah, I, do, I have a big year ahead. I will now have one more qualifier that's to be rescheduled. Um, so just navigating, um, as always business work and, um, <laughs> and trying to be a full-time athlete, navigating that for another 12 months, um, until hopefully getting to Tokyo, um, beyond that, um, Commonwealth Games is, will be right around the corner. So, yeah, just looking at what that space looks like as well. Uh, yeah, and that's basically us. We're going to continue just trying to um, figure out how we can juggle the two and, and get the best result possible and hopefully get to Tokyo. Um, and so it was the second question where, where I think the fitness space is going. Yeah, let's, let's talk more about I'll, – I'll, indiv- I'll individualise it a little bit more. What do you, what do you think with your guys' business? Uh, I know you guys are offering a few more programs these days and just CrossFit. Do you guys think that's going to be a continuing trend or do you think this CrossFit is not going to go anywhere basically? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think the, the CrossFit methodology is going to go anywhere. Um, I think as a 
as a style of training, it's very well established uh, within the general pop community or um, yeah, the gen pop community. It's, it's very well, well established. And that style of training is we still believe in it and we're still going to continue to market it because we've seen results. We've seen how people enjoy it. Um, so yeah, we will, we will continue doing it. And I think I, th- can you still hear me? Yeah, 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 so good. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think I don't think that's going to go away in a hurry. I'm not sure how it's going to look. I don't know what the umbrella um, of CrossFit is going to be no longer. I don't know what the umbrella looks like. Uh, but I mean, as a as an as a gym, we will continue training that style. We'll continue running competitions in that style of training, um, and outside of that, we're just going to try and grow as much as we possible as we possibly can. So, um, and evolve as much as we possibly can. So much like what you guys are doing, we're trying to offer a range of styles of training that all, that all complement each other in order to get individuals their best possible result. And that's the, that's the, the goal at the end of the day is we want every individual to be able to cater their style of training to get their possible, um, sorry, their best possible result, whether it's in um, aesthetics, whether it's in fitness, whether it's in strength, whether it's in all three. Um, So now we've started offering functional bodybuilding group classes. We have, we've always had the functional fit programming, which is run at the same time alongside of CrossFit. But, you know, if, if someone doesn't want to spend the time and effort um, it requires to be able to snatch and clean and jerk and do a ring muscle up, or they don't know that they want to do that, then they've got this program that's perfectly suited for them. Um, so we're growing our nutrition um, part of the business as well, because obviously knowing how important that is, especially when it comes to getting results, um, we want to make sure that that's an on offer as well. So I I can't see exactly what the next two years looks like. And that's because two years ago we hadn't, or sorry, even the next 12 months, 12 months ago, we had no idea that we were going to be in the space we're in now where we've got all these different offerings. Um, And it's about evolving and moving and listening and watching what's going on around the world, um, watching what's happening within each of our members and how they're getting their results. And then just trying to make sure that we are moving with it. Um, yeah, I, I know that doesn't really answer your question. No, it does. It does. It did. It did um, that was good. Yeah, that's that's kind of. I mean, that's what pops into into my frame of mind anyway. That I think that's where we're where we're heading. We're just working on constantly evolving. Cool. Uh, and I think that's that's very very true. I think. Uh, the fitness industry, especially, I mean, you guys don't have to deal with it, but I think especially this side of the world and, and many other places in the world, uh, the post-COVID situation is going to change the fitness industry considerably as well. Uh, and I think it's going to force uh, probably a, a slight difference uh, in the way people are coached and uh, and what that looks like for everyone. Um, but, okay, uh, last Sort of five questions for you, Meeks. Um, if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Uh, um, 
It'd be a form of bird. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they just, they look like they have a really free life. <laughs> they yeah. kind of travel around easily and people feed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Easy feed of life. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite superhero and why? Oh, favorite superhero. It'd have to be Wonder Woman. Okay. I would say. Um, Because I'm all for empowering women, and I feel she does that very well. Pretty well, well. yeah. (laughs) Um, Morning or night person, and I think someone who wakes up at 4.45 is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I used to be a night person, but I'd say I'm definitely more a morning person now. (laughs) Okay. Uh, best part of your day? Waking oh. up to Callum. It's <laughs> like <Say> dinner. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a reoccurring theme here. There is a reoccurring theme here. <laughs> okay. Uh, last one of these. Uh, what is one thing that you have definitely got to do before you die? What's one thing on your bucket list? Oh, man. Um... Like the first thing that comes to my head is make it to the Olympics, but that's probably because that consumes my life right now. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's definitely, if you say that, it's not a, something a lot of people are ever going to be able to do. So, oh, yeah, yeah same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my goal yeah, too. <laughs> that's how much it consumes me. <laughs> Embrace it, Megan. Right not, many people, not many people get that opportunity, so... Um, very cool, very cool answer. Okay, and then the last thing I'm going to ask from you to leave us on is: Do you have a quote or a mantra that you uh, that you really that really resonates with you? Oh, I have so many. Um, I Just have so minute. many. Um, my my favorite and the, the really current one for me is "Be where your feet are." Repeat. Can you repeat um, that for us? It's "Be where your feet are." That is so, really cool, yeah, so no matter where you are, that's where you should be or that's where you should be mentally. And um, it's the same as being saying be present, but it really resonates to me. And it brings any time I find myself floating, I, it brings me straight back to whatever is, yeah, whatever I'm doing at the time. Um, that was, that was very cool, Megan. Um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to end it there, but I will just, I'll give you one chance to uh, to hype yourself, let someone know where they can find you. If people are looking for this amazing woman, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, the best place would be Instagram. I think that's where I'm most um, active. So my Instagram handle is Megan and Signal. Um, too much to Cullum's <laughs> disgust <laughs> Signal. Um, but you can search me under Megan Gifford and that's where you'll find me. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all your time, Megan. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure. Um, been, I, honestly, you, you speak a lot better than your husband does. Uh, <laughs> so, different. That. I speak a lot different. <laughs> <laughs>